You know, when Clarissa and I um, first got married, we um, both came into the marriage, like all other marriages, with different skill sets, experiences, and backgrounds. For example, if you were to walk into Clarissa's home as a single woman, you would find sparkling clean countertops freshly wiped down, you would find freshly vacuumed floors, and you would smell that angelic fume, also known as Norwex. Now, if you were to walk into my home as a single man, you would experience something quite different. You would find a room that looks like something similar to a war zone. You would find a bed that hasn't been made in about a year, and you would be nearly suffocated by the smell of week-old pizza rolls. That was my life. Now, you can imagine when we stepped into marriage, I knew I got to step my game up, right? So I remember when about a first, a first or second week into marriage, can't remember exactly when, I saw a uh, sink full of dishes, dirty dishes, and I thought, this is the perfect opportunity for me to become the husband of the year, to step my game up and to actually do chores. So what did I do? Well, I opened up man's greatest gift, maybe not the greatest, but one of them, called the dishwasher. I'd never used a dishwasher before. It's the first time. So I opened out the racks, filled it with dirty dishes, shut the racks, and then I saw a small opening that had the word soap on it. So what did I do? Well, I did what any former single bachelor would do, and that is crack open a bottle of non-dish soap and fill that baby up, right? And then I shut the container, shut the dishwasher, hit start, walked away feeling like an amazing, amazing guy. Well, that was until about 30 minutes later after the dishwasher had been running that my house began to smell like someone had started a... um, a bath and body works in my kitchen, and I thought, what is going on? And so I walk into the kitchen only to find the floor filled with soap suds. The problem, Clarissa later told me, is that the dishwasher was not designed to have dish soap put into it. In other words, there is a right way and a wrong way to fill the dishwasher. Learned that lesson the hard way, that's for sure. And you say, well, Brad, why tell that story? Because in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 to 9, we find that a wise father is giving advice to his son, explaining that there is a right way and a wrong way to live life. Wise living produces flourishing, but foolish living produces dysfunction. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about wisdom And this week, I want to talk to you this morning about the topic of foolishness, foolishness. Now, the concept of foolishness is a big one in the Bible. It shows up about over 300 times. So starting in Proverbs chapter 3, if you don't have your Bible open, I invite you to do that now. To Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to be looking at several verses throughout chapters 3 and 4. I want to give you this morning four truths about foolishness, four truths about foolishness that I believe if you would hear these and listen and believe that these four truths will inform you, warn you, and maybe even surprise you. So let's begin in Proverbs chapter three, beginning in verse one. 
says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. What is happening here? Well, the wise father tells his son that living according to wisdom will lead to a long, peaceful life that ultimately ends in verse four, finding favor and good success in the sight of God and man. But fast forward to verse 25, and we begin to see the father instructing his son in a different way. He begins to tell him how not to live. Look at verse 25. He says, do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor. Verse 30, do not contend with the man for no reason. And then verse 31, do not envy a man of violence. So he says to the son in Proverbs chapter four, if you fast forward just a little bit to verse 14, he summarizes all of these do not statements with this sentence. Proverbs chapter four, verse 14, he says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on which leads to our first truth about foolishness, which is this, foolishness is possible. Foolishness is possible. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the word foolishness, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of someone who falls for the same prank again and again and again. Maybe you think about a clown-like figure who dances around and does crazy things to make people laugh. Or maybe you think of someone who tried to talk trash to Michael Jordan in the 90s. Whatever it might be, in the Bible, foolishness isn't talked about in just one way. It's complex. In fact, there are mainly three descriptions of people who do foolishness in the book of Proverbs. The first is the simple. The simple. Who are the simple, you ask? Well, the simple ignore wisdom. Simple people are marked by naivety. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15 says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And because these people do not think about the consequences of what they do, they do foolish things. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 18. The simple inherit folly. In other words, these are people who just kind of live life. They don't think about the consequences of their actions. They just do whatever they want without any thought. Commentator Derek Kidner puts it really well. He says, a man who is empty-headed will always end up wrong-headed. In other words, if you do not think about what you do, it is inevitable that you will end up committing foolish acts. The simple ignore wisdom. So three descriptions of people who do foolishness in the Proverbs. First, the simple. Secondly, the fool. The fool. This is the most common description of foolishness in the Bible. Whereas the simple ignores wisdom, the fool rejects it. 
According to the book of Proverbs, fools go against everything wise. Here are just a few portraits of the fool in Proverbs. In Proverbs 15, 19, I'm not going to read all of these uh, passages, but I encourage you to write them down and read them later for your own personal meditation. Proverbs 15, verse 19, it says that the fool lacks discipline and correction. Proverbs 17, 28, they speak so foolishly that when they stop talking, they're actually considered wise. Proverbs 11, verse 29, and chapter 21, verse 20, says that they don't manage their finances or household well. And then in Proverbs 15, verse 21, says that they consider foolishness to be fun. This is the picture of a fool. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke, who has a really helpful commentary in the book of Proverbs, describes fools as those who, quote, see knowledge in ignorance and usefulness in harmfulness. That's a good definition. Fools are people who see knowledge in ignorance and usefulness in harmfulness. The fool rejects wisdom. Three descriptions of people who do foolishness in Proverbs. First, the simple. Secondly, the fool. But then thirdly, and maybe the worst of them all, the scoffer. The scoffer. Whereas the simple ignores wisdom, and the fool rejects wisdom, the scoffer hates wisdom. The Proverbs describe scoffers in Proverbs 21 as those who are, quote, deliberate troublemakers that bring destruction and chaos wherever they go. Proverbs 29, verse 8 says this, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. And at the end of the day, scoffers are just merely proud people. Proverbs 21, verse 24 says, the scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So we have the simple, the fool, and the scoffer. And I think the reason why the book of Proverbs gives us three broad categories, three portraits, if you may, of foolishness is to teach us this truth. Foolishness is possible. See, when you hear about these portraits of foolish people in the book of Proverbs, what you should not be thinking about is the person sitting next to you or that family member, or that coworker. No, 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 no. You should be asking yourself this question. Am I like that? Am I like that? Proverbs 21 says that the upright gives thought to his ways. Why? Why does the upright give, give thought to his ways? Well, because not only is foolishness possible for each of us, but secondly, Foolishness is costly. Foolishness always hides the price tag before you do it, but always sends you the bill after you do it. Or as Dale Shaw says often, the only time you can avoid the consequences of sin is before you sin. Foolishness will always cost you something. Now you might be thinking this morning, well, what exactly will foolishness cost me? It's a great question. What I want to do is give you real fast five ways, five simple ways. This isn't an exhaustive list, but five ways that the Proverbs often speaks of how foolishness will cost you after you commit it. So five ways foolishness can cost you. First, real fast, health. 
Foolishness can cost you health. Proverbs 3, 7 to 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The opposite is also true. When you become wise in your own eyes and don't fear the Lord and embrace evil, you will inevitably damage your flesh and bring weariness to your bones, the scripture says. Foolishness can cost you your health. But secondly, foolishness can not only cost you your health, it can cost you time, time. Proverbs chapter four um, talks specifically about avoiding the path of evil, why? Because if you go on it, it can result in verse 16. Look with me, Proverbs chapter four, verse 16. This is really insightful. The wise father says, for they, the foolish person who does foolish things, cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. What is he saying? This is the idea of someone who is so entrenched, so addicted to something, that their entire day revolves around doing it. For some of you watching this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You feel like, perhaps, that your agenda every day bends around your addiction to the point where you can't even sleep until you've done it. Foolishness can cost you time. Five ways foolishness can cost you. First, it can cost you health. Secondly, it can cost you time. But thirdly, it can cost you money. It can cost you money. Proverbs chapter 10, verse four says this, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs six, verse 10 to verse 11. Similar things. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Friend, let me ask you have you been funding your foolishness? Have you been spending and giving money towards that which will ultimately only destroy you in the end? Have you been funding your foolishness? Foolishness can cost you money. It can cost you health, time, money, but fourthly, it can also cost you relationships. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 26 says that he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. Like a grenade, when foolishness blows up with consequences in your life, those closest to you will be harmed. Marriages can end, friendships can split, and homes can fracture with just one foolish decision. A question we would do well to ponder is this. How have my foolish decisions hurt those around me? And what can I do today to make them right? It's a great question to ask yourself. Foolishness can cost you relationships. But lastly, what can foolishness cost you? Your life, your life. At the end of the day, all foolishness is a journey to one destination, death. Proverbs chapter five, verse 20, 23 says, the fool dies for lack of discipline. 
and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Proverbs chapter 10 says something familiar. He says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. We know that, but the years of the wicked, he says, will be short. And maybe, just maybe, the reason God has you listening to this message wherever you are right now is so that you will be woken up to the reality that the decisions you've been making in your life are marching you straight over a cliff. And God wants to rescue you. Here's the point. All foolishness will cost you something. To put it another way, as the old adage goes, foolishness will take you farther than you want to go, will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So the wise father shows us the path of foolishness and pleads with us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 15. He says, avoid it. <laughs> Don't go that way. He says, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. But notice, notice, this is interesting to me. Notice the words he uses to describe the path in verse 14, chapter four. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means foolishness is not only possible and costly, but most of all, our foolishness is pervasive. We tend to think that fools are people that lack common sense and intelligence. But we, on the other hand, are so smart and savvy and sophisticated and therefore wise. But throughout the book of Proverbs, people who practice foolishness are described as wicked, as evil, and as sinners. Why? Because foolishness does not have to do with a lack of intelligence, but unbelief. See, if wisdom is Proverbs chapter three, verse five, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lead on your own understanding, foolishness says the opposite. Foolishness shouts, Trust in yourself with all your heart and lean on your own understanding, you see, which has nothing to do with IQ, but everything to do with unbelief. So what is foolishness, you ask? We've been talking about it for the last 20 minutes. What is foolishness? Here's my definition. Foolishness is doing whatever I want, however I want, and whenever I want, without reference to God. Foolishness is doing whatever I want, however I want, whenever I want, without reference to God. Foolishness, the Bible tells us, is driven by unbelief, but sustained by pride. This is why Psalm 14 tells us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, or as Romans 1 puts it, claiming to be wise, they became fools. What does this all mean? It means foolishness is pervasive, or to say it in another way, 
Foolishness is inside all of us. We have all been shown the path to wisdom, all of us. But what have we done? In response, Isaiah 53, verse 6, says exactly what we've done. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. The reason why the wise father in Proverbs 4 is pleading with his son to not go down the path of foolishness is because it is his natural tendency to do just that. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Does anyone feel it this morning? Do you feel that tendency to do the things that you shouldn't do? Like Gollum was drawn to the ring, like Edmund was drawn to Turkish delight, so our hearts are drawn to the path of foolishness. But maybe you're listening to this and, and you not only know that, you've experienced it. And as a result, you're, you're listening to this right now, and your soul is eaten up by regret. What is regret, you say? Regret is the bitter aftertaste of foolishness. Maybe you're listening to this right now and you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are things that you did years ago, months ago, weeks ago, maybe even last night and they have left the bitter aftertaste of regret in your mouth. And you know that foolishness is possible. You know it's costly, you're paying the cost right now. And you are well aware that it is pervasive, that it is inside of you. But my question for you, my friend, is do you know the fourth truth about foolishness? That foolishness is wisdom. Now you're probably thinking, Brad, what in the world are you talking about? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, the apostle Paul begins to talk about the nature of foolishness. And what he says is very interesting. 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse 18. Read along with me, this is incredible. He says, for the word of the cross is folly. In other words, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 20, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, foolishness, of what we preach to save those who believe. And then he summarizes everything he's saying in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Friend, this is the greatest use of irony in the history of the world. Paul is saying that God, almighty God, uses what you and I naturally see as foolish to make us wise. What do we naturally see as foolishness, you ask? we naturally see the message that we are all fools in desperate need of a wise God as foolishness. 
The message of the gospel is that Jesus, who Paul calls the wisdom of God, dies for fools to make them wise. That's the gospel. To put it another way, foolishness is redeemed through the foolishness of the cross. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning as we begin this study in Proverbs that Proverbs is not a self-help book. If you're looking for a self-help book, go to Barnes & Noble, but don't come to College Park Church because Proverbs is not a self-help book. Proverbs is a flashing road sign pointing to Jesus, the one who never strayed from the path of wisdom, who is the wisest person to ever live and who died in the place of fools on the cross for their redemption so that their boast would not be in themselves, but in him. Atheist Christopher Hitchens once said that the most unethical, insensible tenet of the Christian faith is the atonement. Why would he say that? Quote, he says, it makes no sense that someone innocent should take the punishment for the guilty. In other words, if you have not been rescued by the gospel and by Jesus himself, the gospel is foolishness to you. But if you have been rescued by Jesus, the gospel is the power of God. What once led you to scoff now leads you to worship. What once you treated as trash, you now consider a great treasure. What you once wouldn't even give five minutes to consider, you now give your life for. What was once foolishness to you is now wisdom. But maybe you're listening to this and you don't believe in Jesus. You've been living life according to your own wisdom, making foolish decision after foolish decision, after foolish decision. And my friend, could it be that God brought you here, wherever you are, to hear this message so that it can function like a divine alarm clock in your life and wake you up from your slumber to show you that when you go against the wisdom of God, when you go against the grain of God's wisdom, you always get splinters. My friend, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Translation, what does that mean? It means Jesus can run your life better than you can. The question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him? You know, back in the day, if you were navigating a ship and trying to find your way into port, you would inevitably come across a section of the sea that you weren't familiar with. Now the danger with that is you never knew if just underneath the water ahead were rocks that if you navigated the ship over them would crack open the bottom of your ship, cause the ship to sink, and therefore kill everyone on board. It was a dangerous thing to go home to port in a ship. So as a captain, if you're the captain of the ship, you have two options at that moment. The first option is just to say, well, I'm the captain of this ship and I'm gonna cruise on forward with the potential of actually killing yourself and everyone on board. But if you were a captain with a humble heart, 
what you would do is you would find a flag within your ship that every ship would have, you would raise it up the mass, and it would fly over for everyone to see that you need a pilot. What is a pilot? Well, a pilot was someone who would live on the shore. And what a pilot was useful for is helping ships navigate into port because they knew that area of the sea like the back of their hand. They knew that what was above the water, under the water, and all around. They were very familiar with the sea. And so what they would do is they would see a flag waving saying, I need a pilot. They would hop in the rowboat, row out to the boat, and they would hop on the boat, grab the wheel, and navigate you safely into port. But what the first thing that they would do when they hop on the boat is they would fly up a different colored flag, a flag that they would fly up the mass that would tell everyone who sees it, I have a pilot. I have a pilot. Christians had a hymn that they wrote in light of this reality called Jesus Savior, Pilot Me. Over life's tempestuous seas, wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus Savior, pilot me. My friend, we need a pilot over the seas of life. We cannot navigate it according to our own wisdom. We need one who is wiser than us, who knows the seas of this life, who can give us direction to guide us safely home. So in the words of Proverbs chapter three, verse three and onward. An incredible text that I hope that you will maybe place to the memory of your own heart. Just it's so incredible. It says this, Proverbs chapter three, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So, Foolishness is possible, it's costly, it's pervasive, but praise God through the cross of Christ, foolishness can be wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that you are a pilot over life's tempestuous seas. So I pray that for all of us, we would have humble hearts that we would turn from our folly and that we would trust you, the wise God. Thank you that, Father, you sent your son to be the pilot over life's seas, to bear our punishment and our folly and our sin so that we might know him. And Spirit, thank you that you are our seal for redemption and that you guide us into all truths. So help us this week in all our ways to, to understand that you are the God who knows this life better than we do, and you can run our life better than we do. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.